Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, our, our text this morning, verses 4 to 10, which as I mentioned in the first word on worship, is a, a bit of a hinge between the two previous between the previous section and the section to follow. Uh, the previous section, a section of praise concerning this uh, salvation that's come to us, that we've been born again to a living hope through the, uh, through the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, the section to follow will begin to tell us certain things we're to do in the light of uh, this good news of the gospel. But, but between these two sections, the section of praise and the section of, if you will, duty, we have yet one more statement concerning who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly how the Bible operates. The Bible always tells us what is true about us before it points us to what to do. And so here it tells us remarkably that we are God's people. We belong to him. We're, we're his people, his, his treasure, his prized possession, his holy nation, his royal priesthood. These amazing statements concerning who we are in Jesus Christ. And in the light of that, next week we'll see what Peter's going to ask us to do. But in order to see what the good news is and how this applies to us, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come begging you of your Holy Spirit this morning. Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would open our eyes of faith, that we would see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do the work that you alone can do, which is to enter into our hearts and to see, to help us see the excellencies of this God who has come to us in Jesus Christ. Grant us this, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the summer after my freshman year of college, I worked at a Christian boys camp in upstate New York, a place called Deerfoot Lodge. 
Every two weeks, our sessions were two weeks. Every two weeks as a counselor, I got a day and a half off. So I had a half day, and then some point else in that two-week period, I would have a full day off. And one of the terms uh, or periods of camp, I actually my full day off actually fell on a Saturday. And so me and some guys decided that we would do a road trip to Montreal, Canada. Uh, It was only five hours away from camp, and I didn't know if I would ever get back to that neck of the woods again. And so early on a Saturday morning, we jumped in my little Ford Festiva and took off for Montreal. Uh, It was a beautiful summer day, um, such that you really can only have in upstate New York. Cool, crisp, sunny. Um, And as we made our way across the border, of course, this was long before 9-11, and so you could pass back and forth quite easily. Um, We made our way to Montreal, and it was amazing. Um, It it felt like we had gone to Europe, all these signs written in French and all this architecture that seemed so old. It was toward the end of Saturday afternoon, about 5 o'clock, when we came across this most beautiful church, And as I said, five o'clock, there were scores and scores of people going into it. And so as Protestant kids who didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to what their Roman Catholic friends did, we we had no idea why they were going into the church at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And so we went in too. Well, we came to find out later that this beautiful church was actually the Notre Dame Basilica of Montreal. Uh, We didn't know that then. Um, We also came to find out that this was actually the 5 o'clock Saturday Mass. We didn't know what we had wandered into. Um, A funny story that I don't have to tell, this is also the only time that we Protestant kids actually took Catholic Mass. That was a big Um, no-no. We discovered that as we went along. But as we stood and as we sat and we knelt through a service that we didn't understand because it was all in Latin and French, I, at least, was overwhelmed by the beauty of the cathedral. And it had been completed in 1829, and it had, been, it had taken decades to build. And, and after the basilica was finished, um, the diocese raised countless monies to, to beautify the, the space with, with statuary, stained glass, and carvings, and gold-laden pieces. It, it was remarkable to think about all the hands that built and de- designed and contributed to the beauty of that space. And, and yet, as, as beautiful as that cathedral was, it's not as beautiful as the church God is building here. The church, not just the space, but you. The, the, the church that God is building in you, through you, with you here. And as sacred as that space felt, as holy as it felt, it wasn't as sacred as the people that God has called here to be part of his holy priesthood. You see, my friends, Peter is telling us something very important this morning. Namely, to live the Christian life, we cannot live it and we do not live it alone. We, we, we don't engage in a private struggle for personal righteousness and holiness. We, we don't live the Christian life as solitary individuals. No, God is building us into a house through our common union in Jesus Christ. 
and he is shaping us into his people through his call upon our lives in and through Jesus. And because we have a common union with Jesus, that means we have a common union or communion with each other. We need each other. We need each other to know God's mercy and to render God's praise. And so in order to see that this morning, Peter uses two sets of images to show how it is that we live as God's people together. And both of these images draw from the Old Testament and show that God's purpose and people have always been the same, centered on the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and these images are that you and I, we are part of a spiritual house, and, and you and I are, are a set-apart people. A spiritual house, a set-apart people. Notice first how Peter talks about you and me as part of this, this church. He calls us a, a spiritual house. In verse 4, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, that word there that our ESV translates spiritual house is, is actually kind of interesting because it's pretty clear that Peter is describing us or picturing us as a new temple. We think that Peter dies before the destruction of Jerusalem, and so this letter is written before the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. But undoubtedly, Peter had in mind the words of Jesus. In Matthew 24, Jesus told his disciples that that, that Jerusalem temple would be destroyed. And in fact, we know from John 2 that Jesus calls his own body a temple. Destroy this temple, and in three days it shall be rebuilt. And so perhaps Peter is reflecting on this. And he's telling his Jewish Gentile church scattered throughout Asia Minor, you you are a spiritual temple. You, because you're united to Christ, because you have a union with him, you're united to his body, and his body is a temple, and, and so you are a temple. Perhaps that's what he's saying. And yet, Peter doesn't actually use the Greek word here for temple. Rather, he uses the Greek word for house that could also be translated household. So maybe he's reflecting on God's promises to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Do you remember? In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David desires to build God a temple, a house. And Nathan the prophet says, go ahead. And then Nathan has this, this vision. The word of the Lord comes to him. And, and Nathan then goes to David and, and he communicates God's message. God says to him, David, do you want to build me a house? Well, you're not going to build me a house, a temple. Your descendant will do so, but that's not your task. But listen, David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a household. And it's going to come through your son, who will actually be my son. He's going to be a forever king, ruling over a forever kingdom, ruling over my house. Apply that here, then. And what might Peter be saying? I think he's saying that Jesus... The promised king, the promised king to David, the, the forever king ruling over the forever kingdom, he's the one who's building the house. He's the one who's building the true temple. 
He's the one who's building the real place of God's presence. And as Jesus builds this house, he builds around himself as the living stone. Did you see that in verse 4? As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And then he's going to go on and use this stone imagery throughout this section, verses 4 to 8. In fact, Peter will draw on several Old Testament passages that have to do with Jesus as a stone. In verse 6, he uses Isaiah 28, verse 16. In verse 7, he uses Psalm 118, verse 22, which is why Psalm 118 was our call to worship this morning and why we sang that psalm setting as our first hymn, oh, oh, give, thanks to God, to, uh, give thanks unto the Lord Jehovah. And then in verse 8, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. What is he doing? Why does he quote these Old Testament texts? Well, Peter's bringing these to mind so that as God's people reflected on these texts, they would, they would understand that Jesus the Messiah would be the cornerstone of a new temple. He would be the cornerstone of a people that would rise up as the place of God's presence to bless the world. Now, some would reject the cornerstone. Some would reject Jesus, the chosen and precious stone. But for those who believed in him, they wouldn't be ashamed in the last day. Now, on the last day, on the judgment day, having trusted in Jesus, they'd be able to stand knowing that, that God would receive them in Jesus Christ. And, and so Peter applies these Old Testament texts to Jesus and in doing so, he's following the example of the Gospels and the other epistles, although it's somewhat ironic, right, that Peter's talking about stones when his own name means rock. I mean, the rock here is talking about the true stone, Jesus. But he calls Jesus not simply the stone or the cornerstone. No, he calls him the living stone. Why? Why does he call Jesus the living stone? Well, because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Because Jesus is alive right now. Because Jesus is active right now, building his new temple. He is the living stone. And he builds this spiritual house with living stones. See, that's how Peter goes on, isn't it? Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How is it that you and I are, are living stones? Well, it's because we've come to the living stone. It's because we've trusted in Jesus. It's because what Peter has already said at the beginning of this letter is true, that, that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which means what? You're spiritually alive right now. Once you were dead, once you were dead in your trespasses and sins, once you followed the prince of the power of the air, once you were held captive to your, your wayward desires, the passions in your former ignorance, but that's not you anymore. No, now you are alive. Now you, you desire to be holy as he is holy because the one who's called you is holy. Now you want to live differently. Why? 
Because Jesus Christ has made you alive so that you're able to see his excellency and wonder at his beauty and, and offer him his praise. And so as, as living sacrifices, excuse me, as living stones, we are being built up into God's new temple. We are being built as his spiritual house. But get this, we're not just part of the temple. We're also priests in the temple. That's what Peter tells you. You stand now as a priest offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus. And what are your sacrifices? Are, 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 do we offer the body of Jesus over and again as a spiritual sacrifice? No. What is your spiritual sacrifice? Well, the writer to the Hebrews will tell you. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the writer says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So get it, you're, you're part of a spiritual house, but you're also priests in that temple, and you come week by week to offer a sacrifice which is nothing less than praise. Friends, that's why corporate worship's so important. We come this morning not simply or not merely to get something out of worship for ourselves. Rather, we come to give something, to offer something. We give ourselves to the Lord. We give our hearts to the Lord. We give our bodies to the Lord. We give our praise to him. And we come especially to praise our God because of what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. We were those who were wandering in darkness and sin, and yet God in Jesus Christ showed us mercy, and he transferred us from darkness into light. He transferred us from, from destructive desire to, to now wholesome ways. What mercy he has shown to you in Jesus. Shouldn't that bring forth your praise because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? We praise him because of, of what he's done, but we also praise him because of who he is. Every worship service on Sunday morning in this place, we, our, our service begins with a call to worship and, a, and a, psalm of, a song of adoration and a prayer of adoration. Why? Why does our service begin with adoration? It's because we worship a great and glorious God who has shown us steadfast love and mercy in Jesus Christ. Shouldn't that, shouldn't that bring forth our praise? Shouldn't that cause our hearts to rejoice that because of what God has done for us in Christ and because of who he is for us in Christ? But listen, you cannot praise God alone. You cannot praise him by yourself. You cannot praise him by yourself on the golf course. You cannot praise him by yourself in the hunting stand. You can't praise him at the ball field. You can't praise him by yourself on the beach or on the mountaintop. No, this is the place among God's people. That this is the place in the spiritual house, as priests in this house, where you offer your, yourselves to this God to praise him. Friends, the New Testament does not really contemplate a private worship that does not usher into corporate praise. Because it's only as we praise God together that we live before the world as a spiritual house made up of living stones centered upon Jesus Christ, the living stone. 
And so this first image is so vital and important for us to understand who we are as God's people. You and I, we are a spiritual house. But Peter uses a second image. Not just a spiritual house. He calls us a set-apart people. Look at verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a, an incredibly powerful piling up of images here. Peter takes descriptions of how Israel was described in the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 19 and Hosea chapter 2. And he applies all of this to his scattered church, these, this, this Jewish Gentile group scattered throughout Asia Minor that believes in Jesus. And he says to them, this is who you are. Who are you? You're God's people. You're his set apart people. You are his special people for his own possession. All that God has said about his people in past days in the Old Testament is true of you first century saints. But listen, friends, all that Peter is saying to these first century saints is true of you, IPC. You have been chosen by God. You're a chosen race. Out of all the races and ethnicities in this world, God has chosen you to be part of a new humanity made up of every color and tribe and language group so that the watching world says, oh, this is what it looks like when the dividing wall of hostility is torn down by the power of the cross. People that might naturally be en en enemies with one another are now brothers and sisters in Christ. And this happened not because you were somehow better than anybody else, smarter, more handsome, more thoughtful because you got it all figured out. No. God chose you because he chose you. And he chose you because he set his love upon you before the foundation of the world, out of his own good pleasure and for his glory. You, my friends, you are a chosen race. But you're also a royal priesthood and a holy nation. This is language from Exodus chapter 19, and it's, it's applied to you now. It's yours. Not something we become by our own striving. Rather, God in his grace in his one way, always and forever kind of love, has made you into a kingdom of priests. He's made you into priestly royalty. He's formed you into a new nation, a nation of holiness that's holy from the heart because we're, we're children from a holy father. And he says, too, that you are a specially possessed people. Listen, IPC, you, you are God's treasure. You're God's treasure. You're his priceless people. You've been bought not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You have been united to the precious living stone. And because that's the case, God looks at you as precious in his sight. You are his treasure. Friends, because these descriptors are true, because this is who you are, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, treasured people, God has set you apart for his own purpose. So what's the purpose? What, what is God's purpose for you? Well, again, it's praise. It's verse 9, that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. That's really the only appropriate response to God's grace. I mean, if we really understood, if we really were grasped by the grace of God, that we really are far worse than we think, but, but actually far more welcome than we could possibly imagine, if, if we really were grasped by the truth of that, deep in our hearts and our bones, if we were really grasped by the steadfast love of God in Jesus Christ, then we would be a people of profound gratitude and vigorous praise. We couldn't stop from saying amen, and we couldn't stop from saying praise. Because we were in darkness, my friends. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were held captive to the world, the flesh and the devil. We were chained by the passions of our former ignorance. But now, as Peter tells us, we've been brought into the light. We see the excellency of this God, his beauty, his glory. We've tasted and seen that he's good. Shouldn't this lead to praise? Shouldn't this lead us to proclaim God's excellency? Because there was once when we were not a people, but now we're God's people. There was once when we had not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. Think of that. We were once aliens and refugees and strangers and foreigners and outsiders, but now we're beloved children and treasured friends, born anew and set free. But get it, you can't be a holy temple as a single living stone. And we cannot be a holy nation as a party of one. We can't be holy by ourselves and we can't praise God by ourselves. No, it all requires that each of us and all of us must live as God's people together. It very well may be that there's someone here today who needs, you to, needs to hear you sing the words of Give thanks so God, to the Lord Jehovah or um, how good it is. And he is seeing those words into their ears because their hearts are fearful and doubting. And if you're not here, they won't hear your voice. It very well may be that there was someone here today that needed to hear the words of the affirmation of faith, especially that we believe in the forgiveness of sins because they've been wrestling with fear and doubt and lack of assurance and they wouldn't hear it if you weren't here. It's far more powerful to hear what is true from others than to hear it from ourselves. To know that there are others in this place who share the same faith as I do and follow the same Christ that I do and praise the same Christ as I do. But if you are not here, then, then that doesn't happen. That encouragement and joy doesn't happen. The praise doesn't happen if it's a praise of one. Just like the Notre Dame Basilica uh, that took years, decades to be, to be shaped and to be molded. It, it might take that long to see us shaped as God's people. That, that we belong to the church of the past and the church of the future in one long line of faithful people. But I believe it'll happen I believe that there will, there will be a day when we'll be able to look back to 1965 as this church started and we'll see the long line of faithful people in, in days gone by who love somebody, who love somebody, who now is here loving us, 
And as we love each other and we love our covenant children and grandchildren and seek to disciple them that will love the future generations, there will be a point in heaven's glory where we'll be able to see the whole story and we'll see that God has made something beautiful in time and that we are in fact a part of a membership, a membership of a people for time and eternity, a membership of a people that's not always perfect, that sometimes does things wrong. And yet a membership that's being perfected by God's love and by his grace because we are his set-apart people. We are his spiritual house. There's no better picture of this I've ever come across than in one of my favorite novels by Wendell Berry, a novel called Jaber Crow. Jaber Crow is the, the town barber in Port William, Kentucky. And the novel gives his stories about that people and that place. At one point in the novel, Jaber reflects on the nature of his community and belonging to it as a member of that community. And he, he said this, what I saw now was the community imperfect and irresolute, but held together by the frayed and always fraying, incomplete and yet ever holding bonds of various sorts of affection. There had maybe never been anybody who had not been loved by somebody who had been loved by somebody else, and so on and so on. It was a community always disappointed in itself, disappointing its members, always trying to contain its divisions and gentle its meanness, always failing, yet always preserving a sort of goodwill towards goodwill. I knew that. In the midst of all the ignorance and error, this was a membership. It was a membership of Port William and of no other place on earth. My vision gathered the community as it had never been and never will be gathered in this world of time, for the community must always be marred by members who are indifferent to it or against it, who are nonetheless its members and maybe nonetheless essential to it. And yet, I saw then all is somehow perfected beyond time by one another's love, compassion, and forgiveness, as it is said, we may be perfected by grace. It's a beautiful picture, I think, that, that Wendell Berry is reflecting the church. He's reflecting you and me as God's people, that, that you are held together by bonds of love, love that, that God has showered upon you in Jesus Christ, but love that you also share with one another. Because friends, you are living stones in God's spiritual house, and you are a set-apart people. You are his treasure. This is who you are, IPC. Be encouraged this morning and recognize who you are. You are God's people. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we bless you that these things are so true. How often we forget in our divisions and battles and turf wars and all the rest that we are actually your people, your treasure, your temple. Lord, help us to have these kinds of eyes so that our hearts might be filled with praise to rejoice in your goodness to us and giving us to one another. Lord, please grant us mercy this day. And enliven our hearts to sing your praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.